he took me around to the, the site so I could see where they shot in the house, which I remember Jimmy Stewart walking in on the porch and in the movie. And then they go to the courthouse and Woody took me to the courthouse. And, um, and so he made so much money from this that he quit his job as a Supreme Court judge and became a full-time writer and fishing bum. Um, and uh, started, uh, you know, living the life that he dreamed of. That was David Van Wee sharing a powerful John Volker story. Jimmy Stewart, great riders, and a 5,000-mile fishing journey today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you get a chance, please take a moment right now and leave a five-star review if you have listened to this show and been enjoying it. You can head over to wetflyswing.com love. And if you leave a review right now, I'll send you a Wet Fly Swing hat and sticker. And uh, just uh, all I need is a screenshot. Uh, take a screenshot of that review, send it to me, and then I'll get this uh, on the way out to you. Uh, thanks in advance if you've already left a review. David Van Wee writes a monthly column for the Maine Sportsman Magazine, has published feature articles in Northern Woodlands Magazine and the Maine Sunday Telegram, and is co-author of The Confluence, a collection of essays, art, and tall tales about fly fishing and friendship. After a 35-year career in environmental consulting and government, he was the director of Bureau of Land and Water Quality, the, the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, and a member of the Maine House of Representatives in the 124th Legislature. He now writes and lives in Lyme, New Hampshire. He is an accomplished photographer, a member of the Outdoor Writers Association of America, and writes a blog on fly fishing and environmental issues at watchyourbackcast.com. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsor. Tokens Fly Shop, providing superior products at an affordable price. An amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fishing accessories. Since 2005, Tokens has been over-delivering on price, service, and passion, and now it's time to discover the Tokens buzz for yourself. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Tokens to get started today. You support this podcast by clicking over to take a look at Tokens online. That's wetflyswing.com slash Tokens. T-O-G-E-N-S. Tokens. So, without further ado, here is David Van Wee. How's it going, David? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, taking the time today to put this together. We're going to dig into a, a book that you, I guess you wrote, uh, I guess maybe it's been a, a couple years or so now. Uh, we're going to dig into that book and talk about this 5,000 mile journey. We, uh, I, I recently had one of our listeners reach out and that he mentioned you and the book and he said, you should get this guy, you should get David on the podcast. So that's part of the reason you're here. I know you've been on Orvis and some other shows as well, but um before you dig into the book, talk about how you first got into uh, into fly fishing. Well, I was uh, working out. I took a job out in Wyoming working for the U.S. Forest Service on Shoshone National Forest and, um, and had a friend out there who uh, kind of helped me get situated. And, and he also was a fly fisherman. So he uh, showed me how, and I went out and bought my first fly rod um, at the Western Auto in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, it was a telescoping uh, combination fly rod, spinning rod, real beauty. 
Um, and, uh, but I started fly fishing out there and caught fish in the Shoshone River and in the Beartooths and in the, um, in the, um, Bighorns. And so that got me started. And then I moved back east, uh, a couple of years later and got married and moved to Maine and really got into it with my friend Lou Zambello, who, um, who's also a, he also got me into writing. He's written several books on fly fishing and he was working at LL Bean at the time. And he and I embarked on the, we got to figure this out journey together. Um, took a fly tying class together. And so he and I still fish together regularly. And, um, uh, he's a registered main guide now. And, uh, and he wrote The Fly Fisher's Guide to New England, and he wrote um, a book called In Pursuit of Trophy Brook Trout. Uh, so he's uh, he knows what he's doing. Um, so a lot of fun to have a partner. That's a great way to learn is to, you know, have a buddy to go with and exchange lessons learned. And we'd go out together and you know, say, okay, I'm fishing with a dry fly. What are you fishing with? I'm fishing with a streamer. And that way you're not both using the same tactic until you figure out which one works. And then you immediately start sharing notes. And, and, uh, that's kind of how we learned. Nice. Yeah. It sounds like maybe another good person to have on, on the show and he'd be great. Yeah. He'd be great. He'd love it. Nice. Well, I wanted to dig into, uh, you know, the, the book that you wrote that's, you know, been out there a little while and it's a really interesting, I guess it's a journey, right? 5,000 miles and 35 different, um, I I believe destinations, right? Can you talk a little bit about this book at first? How did it come to be? How did you get to to where you were going to write this book? And I'm not sure how long it took you to do the actual fishing. So it was a six week journey. Um, and, the way it got started actually was um, my first book is called The Confluence, which I wrote with six college friends about our 30 years of fly fishing together up in northern New Hampshire. And we all wrote stories and and came out way better than we thought. And we got it published. And it's a it's another um, book that your listeners might want to look at called The Confluence. Um, and. Uh, in that, we wanted to reprint uh, Testament of a Fisherman by Robert Traver. And Robert Traver is the pen name for John Volker, um, who wrote Trout Madness and Trout Magic. He's also famous for writing Anatomy of a Murder, which became a uh, bestseller in a movie with Jimmy Stewart and George C. Scott and Lee Remick and others. Um and uh, so he's he's sort of a beloved fly fishing writer, one of my favorites. And he wrote this Testament of a Fisherman, which is kind of like the, what I think of as the Lord's Prayer of Fishing. It's a, you know, it's a little, it's not really in verse, but it's a, a paragraph long story about I fish because I love to, because uh, I love the environs where trout are found, which are invariably beautiful and hate the environs where crowds of people are found which are invariably ugly and it goes on. It's a great thing. You see it on the internet and I have it on my wall. Um, so we wanted to reprint that and, uh, I had to get permission from the copyright owners, which turned out to be his daughter, Grace. And 
started emailing back and forth to her, and she wanted a copy of the Confluence, which I sent to her. And so we sort of became email pals, and we published Testament in the Confluence. And then she invited me to come to, she said, come fish uncles. And uh, uncles is what they call Frenchman's Pond, which is a famously secret pond that's in many of Robert Traver's stories. And he's very protective of his secret pond, as many fly fishers are. And he ends up owning, building a camp there. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of hallowed ground, uh, in the fly fishing writing community community. And I was like, how do you turn down her father? um, He died in 1991. So, um, so, you know, here I get to go and, go to his camp and fish in his pond with her husband or his son-in-law, Woody. And I was like, I got to do this. Um, but it's on the upper peninsula of Michigan and I was in Maine and that's a long way away. Um, and not an easy place to get to from anywhere really. Um, so I started thinking, how do I get there? And the, of course the answer is you fish your way there and back. Um, so I'm thinking about that and I talked to my wife and, and I started thinking about, well, if I was going to fish my way there and back, where would I go? And I started thinking about other famous rivers that are um, written about by other writers and started coming up with a list. And I thought, well, what if I went to all these famous places where all that are and, and written about by all these famous people like Hemingway or uh, Aldo Leopold or Corey Ford or um, even Winslow Homer who painted Trout in the Adirondacks. Um, what if I went to all these places all in one big trip? And I thought, that sounds pretty fun. And I said, well, I could blog about it. And then if it was a good trip and worthwhile, maybe I could turn it into a book. So that's how it came about. And I started talking to people and everybody starts sending me their favorite authors and books and places. And pretty soon I had this itinerary that started. I decided to start at Walden Pond for fairly obvious symbolic reasons uh, in Massachusetts, eastern Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. And I went across southern Vermont, New York, Pennsylvania, and then all the way out to Wisconsin, and I went around the Great Lakes up through Wisconsin to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and then came back across the UP, down into Lower Michigan, and then across to the Adirondacks, and back through northern New England, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and I ended up in the Maine Woods, where Thoreau also wrote uh, about his his uh, excursions into the wild, and. Um, and that was my idea. And I figured out a schedule. I started in mid-May in southern Massachusetts, in Massachusetts. And I finished in Maine at the end of June. Um, I thought it was going to be 3,300 miles. That's how it mapped out on Google Maps. But uh turned out it was 5,500 miles um, when you build in all the back roads and and detours and things like that. And, um, and it was, turned out it was 
a remarkable trip. And um, so it, I blogged about it when I went. Part of part of my challenge to myself was to try to write about it real time um, and come up with a story as I went, you know, a story each day or every other day as I went. Um, I also do a lot of photography, so I took a lot of pictures. And so, so I did the blog and, um, and then that was basically when I got done, I had the first draft of the book. Um, and I, I, um, started working on it and I pitched it to several publishers and Stackpole Books was interested. So I got a, a deal with Stackpole and had to rewrite the whole thing. Um, and published it in the fall of 2019. So I did the trip in May of 2018, May and June of 2018, and I had the book out. Uh, maybe it was 2017. I can't remember now. <laughs> but uh, it took me about two years to get the book out. So basically, so it's been a few years since you did the yeah since you did since the I did the trip. Yep. What um. So what was, uh, you know, when you look back at it, you, you know, what was the most, I mean, why was it so remarkable? What, what sticks out to you now looking back? Well, um, first of all, I was worried when I started out that I would have six weeks of people saying, wow, you should have been here last week. Um, you know, when the fishing was really good because we're not catching anything today. And, you know, six weeks later, I've like been skunked everywhere. Um, or, or, you know, you run into rainstorms and floods and droughts and, and so I just, you know, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, um, which was part of the fun and the, and the, and the challenge was, you know, can you show up at a place, fish it, catch something, do something interesting and then write about it, um, you know, day after day. Um, that was, and, and turned out, yes, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, I got friends of friends in different places. I couldn't hire guides everywhere. I only hired one guide for one day. Uh, we floated. A friend of mine wanted me wanted to meet me on the trip, and he insisted that we float uh, the Delaware River in um, on the New York uh, Pennsylvania border. We ended up floating the East Branch of the Delaware, and he and I split a guide for the day in a drift boat and had a. Uh, remarkable day it's a chapter in the book called bug soup because we hit perfect conditions we had bugs hatching we had spinner falls we had brown trout rising everywhere uh caught more fish than we could count um big fish like 16 18 19 inches uh and just had a wonderful day um but uh so the challenge you know for me was that was what was remarkable as I went to these places and actually did pretty well. I didn't catch fish every day. Um, you know, I got my share of skunks. One of, one of the people I was talking with was, was saying that, you know, it's kind of remarkable that I admit how many times I got, I got skunked for the day, um, in the book, but you know, that's the way it is. Um, so, and of course the, the ultimate destination was the upper peninsula, um, to, to go visit with Grace and her husband Woody. And I was pretty nervous about that because I didn't really know them and they invited me to stay in their home. Um, and 
I got out there and really just they're remar- remarkably nice people and just hit it off and became like family. Uh, stayed with them for several days, fished with Woody, um, had a great time visiting Frenchman's Pond and sitting in the same chair where where Robert Traver or John Volker uh, drank bourbon out of an old tin cup, as he says in one of his stories. And uh, I got to uh, fondle his bamboo fly rod that's in another story. And so that that was kind of a, you know, it was kind of a journey journey to Mecca. How did that feel when you're sitting there holding his cup and the fly rod and stuff? What did, What was that like? It's just, you know, you just have to laugh and go, I just can't believe, I mean, I can't believe I'm doing this, you know, and I get out of the pond and I can't, I, I cast out there and I actually catch a fish and I'm like, really, (laughs) this is really happening. Right. Um, so, uh, so it was just, you know, and it was nice to get to know him as a person, but John Volker, uh, interesting story. He was an attorney uh, and when he wrote Anatomy of Murder, he was actually involved in this murder case. And then he became a he became a Michigan Supreme Court judge, uh, actually um, chief justice. And he started writing under a pen name because he wrote one of the stories was about a case that he'd been involved in. Um, and that was so successful. They actually shot the movie on location up in his home in Ispeming, which is where where. Um, where Woody and Gracie still live. And he took me around to the, the site so I could see where they shot in the house, which I remember Jimmy Stewart walking in on the porch and in the movie. And then they go to the courthouse and Woody took me to the courthouse. And, um, and so he made so much money from this that he quit his job as a Supreme court judge and became a full-time writer and fishing bum. Um, and, uh, started, uh, you know, living the life that he dreamed of. And, uh, so that was, uh, that was pretty, pretty special to experience all that. Um, and one of the things that came out of that is kind of funny, um, which we could talk about a little later is the, there's a Volcker foundation, um, that was created by his friends right at near the end before he died. And then, after he died, they've kept it going. And the, the foundation does two things. One is it provides scholarships to Native Americans to go to law school because Judge Volker saw that Native Americans in that time era especially, but even now, didn't have access to uh, the courts and good legal representation the way they should. And he thought, well, the way to solve that is to train them as attorneys themselves. Um, so it still does that, still offers, uh, scholarships to, um, Native Americans, mostly from Michigan and Wisconsin area. Um, and then the other thing that they administer is the Robert Traver, Robert Traver Fly Fishing Writing Award, which has been going on for 25 some years. And for many years, it was administered by Fly Rod and Reel magazine. And then Fly Rod and Reel went out of business. And so they didn't have anybody to publish or administer the award and publish the winner. So when I was on my trip, one of the things I did is go to a bunch of fly fishing museums. I went to the American Museum of Fly Fishing in Manchester, Vermont, the Catskill Museum in 
New York, the Pennsylvania Museum. I went to one in Michigan. And, and I'm meeting a lot of folks involved in the fly fishing world. And I thought I ought to be able to find some partner to help them revive the award. And I ended up uh, pairing them up with the American Museum of Fly Fishing in Manchester. And so since then, the last two years, and we're working on the third one now since since um, we set it up this way, we're uh, right now judging the, uh, the, the entrance for the 2021 uh, contest. And the winner is published in the the American Fly Fisher, which the which is the journal of the American Museum of Fly Fishing, and um, so I was able to revive the Robert Traver Fly Fishing Writing Award, um, and we've been getting great stories and um, uh, and promoting you know the um, Judge Volker's vision of of fly fishing and writing, so. That's a kind of, you know, it's one of those things where if I'd never done this trip, I never would have met these people. I never would have uh, got that thing going again. And uh, and I've been administering it now for three years um, where we have volunteers um, who judge it in three rounds. And then we have the final finalists select uh, read by uh, a final panel of judges and award the winner $2,500. That's an amazing story. I, I love the Judge uh, Volker you mentioned. I mean, the Native American law school really resonates with me. We were actually, you mentioned Cody, Wyoming at the start. We're heading out to Cody in, a, in about a week to go wow. see uh, uh, Superman. He, he's this hip-hop uh, Native American artist. Really? And he's a, uh, yeah, he, he has this great music. He talks, he's, he raps about, you know, the Native culture and stuff. And Wow. Yeah, so we're heading out to Cody, and, and it's this really cool guy. I've been helping to get the word out to him for sure. He's great. And then... But I also love, too, you mentioned, you know, he quit his job as the judge. It just shows you, you, know, you always have that question, like, if you had a, enough money, would you quit your job? Yeah. And obviously, his love his love was writing, and he was able to do that. So that, that's yeah. that's pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, um, I just want to dig into a little more um, just on the book. You know, we won't have time yeah. to hit all, you know, all of the 35 no. different destinations and all that. But maybe we just touch on, you've already mentioned a few of some of the largest writers, biggest writers in the world, especially in, you know, the outdoor space or whatever. But yeah, maybe talk about a few of the places you went to other than, you know, obviously th- this one was uh, amazing. What other ones stick out to you, which you, if somebody wanted to maybe follow in your footsteps and hit these places, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, so so the the book is kind of part travelogue, part natural history, part fly fishing literary history, and then what I call part fishing porn. You know, it's got plenty of pictures of naked fish in the book. Um, and uh, so I'll start at the beginning. I started at Walden Pond, and you know, I thought I'm going to be writing about writers. And um, my friend Lou Zambella, who I mentioned earlier, had fished in Walden Pond, and told me that actually great fishing it's in suburban boston and i thought well that'd be kind of an interesting place to start and and uh, so i went down there and i met a friend of mine and we went the pond is only um about um 60 acres i think and it's 100 feet deep it's it's what's called a, a kettle pond which means at one point at the end of the last glacial period a big chunk of ice was sat there um, embedded in the, the sand deposits. 
And then when it melted, it left this hole full of water. Um, and that's where Thoreau went and lived for two years, two months, and two days to write Walden. And uh, he was very interested in fish. And I did a lot of, started doing some research about him. Of course, like a lot of people, I read some in high school and kind of knew vaguely about Thoreau, um, which the, the experts tell me it's pronounced Thoreau, like Zorro, which I, which I can't, which I can't break the habit after my whole life of saying it the other way. So Thoreau um, was very, he was a naturalist and he was very interested in fish and plants and bugs and everything. So, uh, so it just was a cool place to start. Um, there, it, they do stock it with rainbows and, and, um, and brown trout. Um, and they were rising the first night I was there couldn't hook one. My friend Lou caught one on a midge when he was there. Um, so we were casting to rise as my friend Norm and I, Norm lives a few miles away from there and, uh, didn't have any luck. Went back the next morning and I was out there again, casting to trying to catch trout. And, um, I saw some fish swimming in a shallow area and I realized those are smallmouth bass nesting. So I had thought about this possibility and I actually had a little frog popper in my vest and I switched over to a frog popper. And the first fish I caught on the whole trip was a pretty good size smallmouth bass. Um, and, uh, and then I caught another one in the pond and never did catch a trout there, but was happy that I caught something in the first place I went. Um, thought that was a good start. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of cool to get your mind into a trip like this when, with a start at Thoreau, who was famous for what he called excursions. You know, he climbed Mount Katahdin, he would go to Cape Cod, he would go climb Mount Greylock in Western Mass. So he was known for doing these, these, uh, he said, you, you need to travel enough to air your, uh, to give your intellect an airing. So, so I, that was kind of the theme for my trip was I'm going to go air my intellect. Um, and, uh, so I did, I did, um, Walden. Then I went next to the Battenkill in Vermont, which is where Orvis is located on the banks of the Battenkill. And I, uh, had gotten in touch with the folks at Orvis and I had, uh, uh, Pete Kutzer, who's the guy who's in a lot of the Orvis how to fly fishing videos, uh, he was my guide for the day, um, on the Batten kill. And, um, and we, unfortunately it had poured rain the night before. So the river was up and a little milky and, uh, I didn't have a lot of luck, but I did have one hookup with a pretty big brown trout that I lost, um, on about the, the third shake. Um, and that was my one shot in the Batten kill. Is there a writer associated uh, with the Batten Kill? Yeah, there are a number. So John Merwin wrote a book about the Batten Kill, um, and he actually was the one of the first editors of Fly Rod and Reel magazine. So that's kind of a he he has a connection to the to the museum. And of course, Orvis, you know my 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 idea of storied waters isn't just books. It's really sort of, you know, what are the fabled rivers in, in fly fishing history? Um, and also visual storytelling because, uh, Norman Rockwell lived 
near the Battenkill, and he didn't paint it much, but he actually fly fished. He was friends with a guy named John Atherton, who wrote a book called The Fly and the Fish, and he um, also, who uh, Lee Wolf lived there, uh, the guy who created the uh, the Wolf dry fly pattern, um, who was married to Joan Wolf, and so um, he lived there, and a number of other writers in in sort of in oh uh, um, I can't forget Margot Page who uh, wrote a beautiful book called Little Rivers, um, a woman's I'm gonna find the title I've got it right here make sure I got it but she's in she's in my book um, it's called Little Rivers Tales of a Woman Angler and um, she, uh, she it's a it's she that book was recently um, re uh, reprinted. So, you know, each place you go, there's usually several. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, as I go through each, each chapter, I tell about my experience fishing. I tell a little bit about the writers and the place. My background is as, as an environmental scientist. So I'm really interested in the water quality and the the natural history and the bugs and sort of how this river formed versus that one. And, you know, how is it held up to fishing pressure and versus the, the good old days. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Togan's Fly Shop, providing superior quality products at an affordable price, an amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fly fishing accessories. Togan's has you covered when looking for unique in-house products, but also supports and supplies materials and tools from other leading fly brands you know and trust. Togan's is now offering their mystery fly tying box where they simplify the process for you in choosing materials. You're only one click away from these hand-picked subscription tying boxes that are packed with value at almost half the cost. And I recently made a order through Togan's and the experience was perfect. After a uh, recent trip uh, nipping for trout, I had to replace my tungsten beads and some jig hooks and a few other items. The products arrived in a couple of days from Togan's with a nice little card, a bonus value, and a welcome note from the Togan's family. Since 2005, Togan's has been over-delivering on price and customer service, so it's time to discover for yourself what the buzz is all about. Head over to wetflyswing.com Togan's and take a look at their diverse selection of products today. You can support this podcast by clicking over to take a look at Togan's online. That's wetflyswing.com slash T-O-G-E-N-S. Togan's. Okay, now back to the show. What were the good old days? Well, <laughs> so that's a good segue to, I told you about the uh, the east branch of the Delaware, and then I fished the bat, uh, the beaver kill. And one of my other favorite writers is Corey Ford, who was uh, a famous outdoor writer, a writer from the 20s through the 60s. And he wrote a beloved column for Field and Stream called The Lower 40 Shooting Angling and Inside Straight Club. And it was a humorous column about uh, sort of semi-autobiographical about him and a gang of his friends and all their misadventures and and uh, silliness, fly fishing and bird hunting. Um, so I love the Corey Ford stories. 
he rode, he learned to fish on the beaver kill um, when he was living in New York. Back in the good old days, they would take the 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 uh, Ohio and Western Railroad out of New York and get off in Roscoe, New York, and fish the beaver kill and um, the Willowamock. And um, Corey Ford, in one of his stories about fishing there, says the fishing isn't what it used to be. Well, of course, he wrote that in the 1930s. Um, and, and, uh, and he joked that when, when Henry Hudson sailed up the Hudson river and met the Mohican Indians, the Indians there told him, you know, you should have been here a hundred years ago. That's when the fishing was really good. I think that's always the case. I, 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 I joke with my dad about this too, because, you know, we talk about even times in the seventies or whatever it was when, you know, there's times when we were stocking a lot more hatchery fish and things like that in places. Yeah. So it felt like maybe there was a lot more fish and there were, but maybe there weren't a lot more native fish, you know, things have, things right. have obviously changed and we've had more humans. So the population is impacting it, but yeah, I hear you. It's all, it, the grass is always greener. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough that um, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act. And when I was a kid, the Hudson River was so polluted, you we used to joke that if you fell in, you'd dissolve. Are people swimming in that thing now? Uh, well, they water ski on it. So people are out there. Yeah, and the, the, the striper fishing is, uh, is excellent. Uh, I write about that a little bit as I came down through Vermont, down toward the Catskills. I wrote about, I grew up in that area, right in Troy and Albany. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, the, you know, you have to put things in perspective. And, the, and because the Clean Water Act was 50 years ago, that means anybody under 50 doesn't remember how bad it was. Um, and, and a lot of these places were, were completely unfishable. Um, and especially the Hudson. So, uh, and now, you know, there's, the fishing is excellent. Um, I fished the Androscoggin River in Maine, same thing. It was so polluted even in the 80s that, uh, that you wouldn't have ever thought of putting a canoe in there. And now the fishing is, is, is excellent. Um, so there's a lot of places like that. When I, when I, the, another place you asked me kind of some of my favorite places, one of mine was the, was the Osable River in Michigan. What's the uh, the Osabo Osable? We've ha- I've had a few guests. Uh, Rachel Finn was on in the past, and but what's the, is there an easy kind of like so people could that that aren't from there can remember the difference between the two? So the way I understand it, and I didn't li- live out there, but I grew up in upstate New York, and so I always called the one in New York the Osable River. Um, some people in New York call it the Osable River, and, and in New York it's one word: A U S A B L E. Um, small, lowercase s, no space. So, um, so I call the one in New York the Osable River. Um, in Michigan, well, from what I understand, talking to people out there, is it's the it's the Osable, and it's a u a lowercase u space capital S A B L E. Um, so that's how I distinguish the two. Is the Michigan is the Osable, in New York it's the Osable. Um, very different rivers. Um, I was surprised by the Osable, uh, partly because it was one of the rivers I, you know, I'm doing this whole trip and I'm trying to do my homework and learn about everything. And that was one gap where I had, I didn't really have a place to go and I didn't know much about the river. The only thing I knew about it was that's where Trout Unlimited was founded. 
um, in Gray- Grayling, Michigan, um, on the right near the uh, the Ashable. Uh That's about all I knew. And uh, I also heard that Hemingway had fished out there, and that was uh, as well as the uh, the big Two-Hearted River, which is uh, what he called the river he fished on in the Upper Peninsula in his famous story, Big Two-Hearted River. Um, so uh, it turns out that the Big Two-Hearted River was really the Fox River, um, where he fished when he was 19 years old with some friends, and that turned into the Nick Adams story that uh, has been called one of the you know one of the best of his of actually some people think it's one of the best of all of Hemingway's short stories. And which one was that? It's called it's called Big Two Hearted River, um, and they they talked about it quite a bit in that Hemingway special that was just on the Ken Burns special they they talked about it uh it's really good i'll put a link out to that yeah it's really good um and uh so he would fish the fox river and um and so i talk about that in one of my chapters um i did not catch any fish in the fox river when i was there unlike nick adams who uh caught quite a few and unlike hemingway himself who reported that he and his friends caught 200 fish when they were there well, how much do you think on Hemingway and some of these other famous people we're talking about? How much do you think of it as is a fish story? Do you, how much truth is there, and how much of it is a story? Well, with Hemingway, um, he he was an avid fly fisher for many years, uh, and then of course he went to the Salt and lived in Key West and fished down there. But when he grew he grew up in Upper Michigan, uh, going to uh, in the in the Petoskey area with his family and um, before he went, I think he was, like I said, he was 18 or 19. He and some friends went up and they took the train up and fished the Fox river. And so that's actually in, in his biography where it's pretty well documented. Um, and then he turned that into, then he went to uh, Italy in world war one where he was wounded and he turned that one of his first stories was this uh, a number of stories that took place in Michigan, including Big Two Hearted River. And in that story, Nick Adams is back from uh, the war and he's traumatized by the war. And, and the story is this beautiful um, um, tale of him going up and going fishing and and. You can, but the, it's a classic Hemingway because he never mentions the war. But it's it's the undercurrent that's throughout the whole story, and it's it's and a great example of what Hemingway called the, his theory of omission, which is sometimes it's what you don't talk about that is what the story is really about. And in this case, it's Nick trying to recover from his wounds, both mental and physical. Um, while he's fishing and it's a very moving story. It's very detailed in his fishing, you know, in the fishing mechanics. So Hemingway knew what he was talking about. I'm curious, uh, David, what did, you know, in your, cause obviously this is a crazy journey you went on, you know, six weeks and, you know, all this effort I'm sure that went into it, wrote a book. I can imagine the effort there, but you know, what, what was it that you did, you, you didn't talk about that, that the story was all about with, with what you did here? Huh, that's a great question. Uh, oh, wow. I don't really have an answer for that, I don't think. 
put you on the spot a little bit, but I, yeah. I think that's powerful because I totally agree. You know, I mean, obviously Hemingway is Hemingway, but that is the cool thing. It's like, I remember I had John Gearock on in, in a past episode way at the start and Yep. And he mentioned that uh, he said, uh, I was talking about writing because obviously he's a great writer. And he, talk, yeah. he talked about how it's, you don't, you know, you don't tell people exactly what it is. You, you describe it. He, he talked about, uh, you know, desc- uh, I can't remember the author he was mentioning, but uh, how, you know, pointing a finger at somebody, he was, he was describing this person, this author was writing about a guy that pointed a gun. And he said it was like his finger was so bent that if he, you know, if he pointed the finger at you and, and pulled the trigger, it would shoot you in the toe. Basically explaining, yeah. you know what I mean? Like through through words as opposed yeah. to telling you. So it's kind of on the same lines. But, you know, I don't know. For you, um, I mean, it sounds like these Hemingway and these other people were pretty powerful. What, what do you take away from, you know, I, I guess if you can't think of something on that first line of thought, what, what do you take away from this whole experience? Well, I mean, I, I guess part of, you know, part of what you're going to see in this book is a lot of me, but I'm, I'm trying, I, I do talk about myself and my background. I mean, when I'm, when I'm driving through my hometown, I talk about this is my hometown, you know, I'm actually driving right through it. Which was, which one? Uh, in Troy, New York. I grew up in, in, in Troy, New York. And, um, and I, you know, on my trip from the Batten kill down to the beaver kill, I went right through my hometown and I went down through the, the Catskills. So, so there's, in in a way, the book is 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 kind of my autobiography because there's so much in there about me, but that's not really what I was trying to write about. I was just I write in a personal voice, um, and and I tell anecdotes and I and and stories. So when I get to Wisconsin, I'm talking about Aldo Leopold. You're going to get a lot of my philosophy of environmental movement and sort of what inspired me to go in a career in, in environmental science and policy. Um, I'm not lecturing you about it. That's not the point, but I wanted to go to fish where my heroes fished and Aldo Leopold is one of my biggest heroes. And he fly fished in his book, San County Almanac. He fished in a place called Alder Creek. He fished in the Flambeau river and talked about the, the, it was being threatened with dam development and so there's a lot in there kind of about our history of our impact on the environment from the good old days until now and sort of what rivers have survived, what have improved, um, you know, what what's the fishing pressure like now in some of these places. And one of the great themes of the book was, I had great fishing. <laughs> there's a lot of great fishing out there. Even though you did a DIY, that's the amazing thing. Even though you only had one guide, you DIY'd it, you still had great fishing. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I was in Wisconsin, so I'll tell you the, the Wisconsin, so one of my other favorite places was the Driftless area. Um, didn't know a ton about the Driftless area, um, other than it's another glacier story. It's the area that did not get hit by a glacier, which is the reason it's called Driftless is because when the glacier retreated, it drops all its gravel and rocks and everything and that's called drift glacial drift and this area doesn't have any of that because the glacier didn't go there so that's why it's called the driftless area um but um it's all you know um spring creeks limestone um small creeks that are full of fish and aldo leopold was a big part of his career was 
teaching out at University of Wisconsin and trying to get farmers and people in the watersheds to take better care um, of the land and improving the watersheds on kind of a holistic basis. So it's a great sort of lesson in, in environmentalism. Um, and one of the places he restored was, was Coon Creek. And so when I was out visiting the people at the Aldo Leopold Center, um, they, he, he said, well, you got to go to Coon Creek. He said that it, for some reason, it didn't make it into Sand County Almanac, but it's one of his great success stories. So I went there and, uh, I'd also been listening to, uh, Tom Rosenbauer's Orvis podcast while I was driving across some godforsaken place for hours. Um, and, uh, he was interviewing Matt Wagner, who is the, uh, owner of the Driftless Angler Fly Shop in Viroqua, uh, Wisconsin. And Matt was a very informative guest and I learned a lot about the Driftless area. So I, pulled into the Driftless Angler, walked up and met Matt and said, uh, you know, help me out. And he told me exactly where to go. He gave me the flies. I went out and I had a bang up day um, fishing in the Coon Creek area, Valley, Coon Valley, um, thanks to, you know, all my friends, Tom Rosenbauer and Matt Wagner and, and, uh, and the people at Aldo Leopold Center and, um, you know, that's where I got my help from. Um, so, and it was all because I'm interested in all these cool things. <laughs> so, well, this is, this is cool. We're, I think we're, uh, I'm not sure exactly. I think we're maybe about number five. I think maybe we have five great, uh, authors and destinations. If you had, if we had enough time to add three more, say to this list, who, who else would you, what other experiences or who else would you add? So let me come back up north. Um, so um, I mentioned Winslow Homer in the Adirondacks, uh, spent some great time there. Um, interestingly, there's not a lot of authors. Uh, Ray Bergman wrote his book, Trout. He's a Adirondack guy, and he was uh, the um, uh, creator of the Osable Wolf and the Osable Bomber, which are great flies. Yeah. And the Osable River, unlike the one in Wisconsin, which is Sandy Bottom, the Osable River, the West Branch is this rocking, rollicking, um, almost Western style river, uh, where you need a high floating fly to, uh, to get the fish's attention. And, uh, had a great day there. So love the, love the Adirondacks. Um, and of course my sister lived there, so I was with her. Uh, and my brother came up to the fish with me. Then, uh, one of my other favorite places, one of my other favorite authors is Howard Frank Mosher. Um, he lived in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, not far from where I live now. Uh, and he wrote, um, novels about, um, the disappearing rural Vermont lifestyle and landscape. Um, and he was a avid fly fisher. And so he builds fly fishing into all of his stories. And I love his novels. He's kind of pegged as a regional <clears throat> writer, but he's no more regional than John Steinbeck or, um, or others. Uh, he just happens to be in the Northeast Kingdom, which is not really, um, you know, the, the epicenter of American culture. Um, and, um, so his 
his books were up there. Well, unfortunately, he uh, he reviewed the Confluence for us, and I sort of had a little exchange going with him, and I wanted to fish with him and learn his river called the Kingdom River is a combination of about four different real rivers that he he melds into a, the fictional Kingdom River. And I really wanted to talk to him about sort of his writing process. But unfortunately, he passed away uh, just before uh, my trip. And um, so I wasn't able to uh, meet with him. But I did fish with a friend of his and um, and was able to fish up there. And if I can re- recommend any writers for people out there, look look up Howard Frank Mosher and uh, dig into some of his his stories. I, I love his, his stories. Um, and then of course I, you know, I wrapped up, up in, um, in Maine. Um, I went to the rapid river, uh, where I stayed in, uh, a, a place that was, um, formerly the home of Louise Dickinson rich, who wrote a book called we took to the woods. And that was in the 1930s. She wrote about living, uh, in this remote, of course, this is like during World War II. They're up in the middle of nowhere, and she is, was a very um, uh, interested fly fisher and fly tire. Um, but uh, it's a uh, that chapter um, got excerpted in um, the American Fly Fisher magazine because it's sort of historical of the the history of the Rapid River and and Louise Dickinson Rich's writing. Um, and, uh, I know John Girak also visited there cause the guy who was guiding me, uh, taking me around <clears throat> had told me some John Girak stories. Um, and then I wrapped up, up in, uh, in Maine. Uh, of course Thoreau wrote the Maine, uh, woods about some of his trips up there. Um, one of my other favorite old time authors is Edmund Ware Smith, who wrote, uh, Upstream and Down and a number of other books. He's similar to Corey Ford and some others uh, in that he just told these great short tales of friends and misadventures. And and uh, and his writing is stunningly beautiful. Um, so I really enjoyed enjoyed his. So. Lots of great stuff. The book has a bibliography in the back. So when you go through and you read these stories, um, if you want to find the books, they're all listed in the, in the back. Um, some of them are out of print. So you got to find them as used books, um, or in a used book shop. I've thought about doing an anthology of some of the writers and stories as like a companion guide. Uh, I got to figure out how to do that. Maybe I'll see if Nick Lyons will help me. Nick's a good guy for sure. Well, I'll put a, um, you know, at watchyourbackcast.com. I know if uh, people go there, they can actually get your book and get a signed copy. Is that, is that, uh, is that the best place to get your book? Yes, that's, uh, I love to hear from people directly. They can find my email and they can order right through my website. And, uh, and I like to do a little, you know, personalized inscription and sign it. It's the only place where you can get a signed copy. So, um, and so watchyourbackcast.com. Yep. Well, uh, before we get out of here, I just had a couple of questions to, to take us out of here. And, um, 
you know, one of them, this is kind of, uh, you know, broad, but, you know, on the trip, was there one big surprise? I mean, what surprised you most about this six week journey and everything you did? Is there one thing, you know, that sticks out there? You know, the, I'm not a real people person, but I just found that the trip was as much about the, the people that I met and spent time with, um, that, uh, really helped me along the way, um, made, made some very, uh, great, uh, contacts. As I mentioned, you know, I've become very good friends with Woody and Gracie and, and the whole Volker clan. Um, so that kind of, that kind of thing everywhere I went, um, people were more than happy to tell me their fishing secrets and, you know, I tried to not give away the favorite spot or the favorite fly. Um, there, there is my publisher wanted me to put, by the way, um, I have some how to sidebars throughout the book that talk at each spot about kind of, you know, a tip that I learned or, uh, where to go or how, what type of flies, that kind of thing. Um, so that was, you know, I think that was, um, that was the, the really the most surprising part. And then also just the, the, the conditions followed me around and I had just great fishing. Um, I fished, I think 38 out of 43 days. Um, I did a rough calculation. I don't keep real close track of everything, but I probably had a batting average of around 700 for whether you do it by day or by stop or by, location um which i think is probably not bad for somebody who's fishing someplace for the first time um and uh you know i caught well north of 200 fish in that time frame what what was uh, not a how do you know you're not a people person oh i don't know i just you know i i, I like to go i like the solitude um you know thoreau talks about it so does um so does Robert Traver. He says, you know, only um, fly fishing, only, only in fly fishing can I find solitude without loneliness. And uh, so, you know, I like to be by myself when I'm fishing. Um, but you can't do that everywhere. And, uh, you know, so I, it was it turned out the trip was a, a wonderful mixture of meeting new people, fishing with them, uh, establishing a relationship based on a shared you know, kind of passion and, uh, and then going on to the next one. So that was, uh, and, and many of them I've stayed in touch with and, and, um, and so it's been, it was a, it was a great journey from that perspective. What's the, uh, the, the American Museum of Fly Fishing? I haven't been there, but it's, uh, uh, a, you know, I'd love to hear more about that. Is there, maybe describe that place a little bit. Is that probably the best place if you want to see some of this historical stuff? Um, actually, I, all, the, all the museums I went to were, were really interesting. Um, so the, the American Museum is in Manchester. It's right down the street from Orvis. Um, it was founded based on some of the artifacts that from the early Orvis days, John Charles Orvis founded the company in, I think, 1856. And uh, his daughter, Mary Marvis Orvis, prepared a, uh, an exhibition for the um, World's Fair in Chicago of fishing flies that she had selected based on uh, correspondence with anglers all over 
the U.S. who are buying Orvis flies. And so she, based on these letters and relationships, this is back in the 1800s, of course, she collected up all these flies and made up these panels with the different flies. Well, some of those were saved and somebody found them um, in the barn or something up at Orvis. And that was the beginning of the American Museum of Fly Fishing, which has been around now for, for quite a while. And they've got uh, wonderful exhibits and they have a great website. Um, so you can go online. There's a lot of their histories on there. Um, their, their quarterly publication, the American fly fishers. Excellent. So again, I would recommend people join, join the museum, support them, um, go visit them when you can, um, get their magazine. It's, it's wonderful. Um, you also have the Catskill, um, Catskill Fly Fishing Center, uh, which is down near Roscoe, New York. It's in, um, I think it's in, I can't remember the name of the town. I'm drawing a blank. Um, the Pennsylvania Fly Fishing Museum is out in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, a lot of the great people in the history of fly fishing who wrote books, Joe Humphreys and Charlie Fox and, um, and a number of other uh, well-known writers are enshrined in there. Um, so that was a really great stop. Um, then there's one up in, in, um, in Lovell, Lovell's museum up near in the Osable, right near Grayling, which is, has a, the, the shrine to the start of Trout Unlimited. That's a really cool place to go. Um, there's, of course, the uh, Adirondack um, Museum in Blue Mountain Lake. It's pretty cool. Um, and then one of my other favorites is in Maine. It's the um, uh, it's it's in Aquasic, and it's the Outdoor Heritage Museum, Outdoor Sporting Heritage Museum in Aquasic, Maine, near Rangeley. And that's a beautiful museum too that talks about the history of fly fishing. They have Carrie Stevens flies and, and, uh, a whole thing about President Eisenhower when he went up there fly fishing and, um, they've got kayak, uh, canoes and paddles and baskets and fly fishing lore galore. So it's really cool place. So, you know, it's, I made a point of stopping at each of these as I went my way around and, um, Got to learn quite a bit about the the history of our sport. Yeah, that that is. I mean, there's so much here. Obviously, we can't dig into it all, but I think we highlighted a few. You know, uh, almost ten places and and uh, some writers and um, you know some great resources so people can follow up. Um, for you, uh, what do you have next in the next year? Anything you want to? I'm not sure if you've got a. I know you joked about with Tom about a, a western trip, but uh, anything new coming up on with your writing or fly fishing? Um, well, yeah, so I, I haven't planned a Western trip. A lot of people have said, okay, now, you know, now go west of the Mississippi and do, do, uh, um, you know, the Rogue River and the, and the river runs through it and all these other places. And I, of course, the pandemic, um, put the kibosh on that for, uh, a while. And I may do that, um, you know, in the next couple of years. But, um, that's, that'll be an ambitious project. Um, meanwhile, I, I actually 
in a little departure, I, uh, I'm working on a historical novel, um, that I've finished the manuscript for and I'm, um, and I'm editing and pretty soon we'll be shopping it around for agents and publishers. Um, it's about the, uh, the Dutch settling the, uh, Hudson river Valley around Albany, Troy, where I grew up. Uh, Van Wee is an old Dutch name from the 1600s. And I've been interested in that time period for most of my life and did a lot of research. And I just wrote a novel that takes place in the 1600s, um, that tells the story of the Dutch, uh, settling there, which be, then became Albany, New York. Um, and their, their interaction with the, the Mohican and Mohawk Indians, which is really fascinating. So, um, so that's it. And I managed to work a fly fishing scene into that book. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say, yeah, that's good. You got that in. It, it's uh, it was actually same time period as Isaac Walton's complete angler. So the, there was fly fishing at that time. Just question of, you know, didn't get recorded in history necessarily, but I'm sure they were doing it. So did you have Isaac Walton? Was that in your, in your book as well? I mention them, yeah. Um, you know, I talk about the history of, of fly fishing. Um, the other cool one is the first American fly fishing story is uh, called The Angler, written by Washington Irving, and it takes place in the Catskills, um, where I went. So that, that's another spot where uh, I mention uh, the, the the early history of fly fishing writing. So. I think you just gave us a top 10 list right there. I think that that's 10 now we could officially, uh, but before we get out of here, David, I just want to give a couple of shout outs. Um, one is to Michael at, uh, the art flick trout unlimited. Michael is the guy that kind of uh, cued me in on what you had going. So I want to give him and, 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 uh, the TU chapter a shout out because they're doing great stuff there. Um, so that was one big one. Uh, yeah, before we get out of here, um, did you have anything else you wanted to, to touch on or do you feel pretty good? Like we touched, touched on this a little bit. Um, well, you reminded me, I, I did a Zoom uh, presentation for the uh, for the Art Flick to you guys. Um, and uh, so if if anybody of your listeners are out there want me to do, um, you know, a, a Zoom uh, version, I have a I have a talk with with um, my photos and everything. And I do a little bit what we just did. Uh, take a quick quick summary of the trip i can't stop you know talk about every single spot but uh i really enjoy doing that and uh you know hope that encourages people to buy the book as well so yeah we and we love to you we support to you as well they're i think probably definitely maybe the big i'm not sure if they're the biggest conservation group but they're doing great stuff we have at wetflyswing.com slash tu a TU member, we have a free, anybody can get on, we'll send a card out so they can get a free membership just to get their foot in the door with TU if they're not, if they're not familiar with that. So we love to, to support them that way. And uh, I'm happy to do some in person too, if I can pull it off now that we're, uh, now that I'm vaccinated, but uh, happy to do the Zoom ones for, for the folks on the West Coast, if they're interested. Are you, as you get into this, um, are you looking at more, uh, you know, are you excited about getting in person or do you, do you like the zoom stuff? Um, I like to do, I, I like to do them in person when I can. Um, you know, obviously travel is, is a challenge sometimes, so I can't go everywhere, but I don't mind doing the zoom. Um, you know, I'm pretty good at it now. 
and uh, I, I taught a class remotely um, last fall, so I'm, I've kind of got the hang of it. All right. So uh, I guess watch uh, your backcast.com is the best place to connect with you. That's true. And I appreciate your walking through storied waters with me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, David. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links and everything else we covered today, just head over to wetflyswing.com slash 247. That's 247. If you found this podcast helpful, please head over to uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you are on social media and, uh, and give a shout out. Um, and also, if you get a chance, leave a five-star review for the podcast on your app of choice. Uh, that would be amazing if you have a chance to do that. That's pretty much it. That's a wrap for today. That's all I have for you. Uh, if you have any questions uh, about anything, if you want to leave a uh, give a heads up on a guest or a topic you want to hear about, please uh, send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com or again on social media. You can always get a hold of me there. Uh, I want to thank you again for sticking around to the very end here. Appreciate you. Uh, appreciate your support. And I appreciate uh, staying in touch with you. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.